0: The following audios from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, chapel family, we are in week two of our new series. Know who you are. If you missed last week, last week was I am a saint. So I want you to say it out loud: say I am a saint. Now, that's for those of you who are in Jesus. If you just said that and you're not yet in Jesus, don't worry. I hope that one day soon you will be able to say that. A saint is somebody who is loved by God, cleaned by God, and made holy and perfect by God. It is not uh, what we commonly think of when we hear the word saint in our culture, which is someone who has lived this massively perfect, virtuous life, performed two confirmed miracles, has been dead for five years, and has sainthood conferred on them. That is what one branch of the church calls sainthood. But in the Bible, over and over again, Paul reminds us, you are saints of God because of what Jesus has done. Now today, we've got some some big Jesus-y words. Today, we've got some mega God concepts. This section that we are going to study today is referred to as one of the grand panoramas of God's good news. So it's imagine if you want to learn about a city. I remember I went to New York for the first time, uh, just last year it was, and you can learn a lot about New York from getting down on the streets, from smelling the smells, from trying to keep up with your wife from shop to shop to shop. You can learn a lot, but there's something different, and for those of you who have been in an airplane, there's a different scope that you get when you see a city from an airplane. Do you remember the first time you saw a big city from an airplane and you think, wow, that is incredible? Or the first time you flew over the country and and if you were like me, you grew up in California, so everything's like gray and then you fly over the country and all of a sudden you see that our entire nation is basically made up of brown and green Lego blocks that you guys call crops. All the Indiana people give me a whoop whoop. No, no Indiana people. Okay, just shaking. So now I know which state I can make fun of today. Today we are in this passage, which is like the panorama view. It's like approaching a city from the air, seeing the big scope. Now there are different ways to learn about God, but it is good for us to see God's work in Jesus Christ through this massive aerial view. And that's where we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. I'll give you a minute to flip there. If you are uh, new and you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. You, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You can take that home, study it, chew on it, eat it, put it under your pillow, read it to your kids. Don't let it get dusty, though. If you let it get dusty, you have to return it in Jesus' name. Okay, so let's pray as we go into God's Word. Father, we are approaching this panoramic aerial view with some of the deepest, most majestic doctrines in the Bible. Lord, I pray that we would not get hung up on on church words just because they're words that we may not have heard of. I pray that all of these doctrines and all of this all of this text that we're going to study would drive us to love you more. Lord, we need big eyes and big ears and big brains and big hearts to take this in today. So help us all in Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to read the, the whole passage and then we're going to Go back up through it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. I mean, this is a jam-packed, churchy-sounding passage. Glorious. Predestination. If you grew up in the church, that word probably makes you quiver. Predestiny. God chose us before the foundation of the world was laid. Before there was a crust on the earth... God was already saying, I'm going to get this person and this person and this person into my family. Today, we are looking at our life, our identity, through three of these lenses. But mainly, it's the one, I am blessed. So everyone say, I am blessed. blessed. This passage says right from the get-go that in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Blessing. Every spiritual blessing, every single one, not lacking any. I just want to make sure you get this, because too often I see people that are in the church that are, that are loving Jesus, but they only live their lives as if they have some of the spiritual blessings. So, so being a comic book nerd, I think of it like um, one of the greatest superheroes of all time, wait for it, Batman. Because, here, here's why. Because he has no superpowers. Batman has no superpowers. He's got a belt with gadgets. And he can keep up with supervillains. He's got all the tools. As believers in Christ, you've got all the blessings. But so often, we only see like maybe one or two. We, we forget about our spiritual grappling hook to pull us out from the basement. We forget that we've got the bat ring that can kill bad guys. All we do is we say, hey, what spiritual blessings do I have? Well, my kids are kind of decent and I like my spouse, kind of. That doesn't sound like every spiritual blessing. But here's the key that we have to understand. First, we're going to go through a few things today. We're going to look at how do we get these spiritual blessings. We're going to look at what these spiritual blessings are. And then we're going to ask, how do we know we actually have them? That's what we're going to go through today. So first, I want us to notice something. In this passage, there is a, there's a thread that runs through it. How do we get them? This is part one of how do we get them. The theme is in him. If you noticed when we were reading this passage, in verse three, it says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In verse four, it says we, he chose us in him. In verse five, it says we were predestined for adoption through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is why our sign says all about Jesus. If you want to know how to get every spiritual blessing that we're going to unpack in a minute here, you've got to know that the only way in, the door to receive every spiritual blessing is being tied to, united with, under, over, surrounded by Jesus alone. Everything in this passage is expanding our view of Jesus. So let's start with that. Now, to be united in him, there's there's really two ways we need to look at this. There's a way that we are united to Jesus legally, and there's a way that we are united to Jesus in his life, in his life-giving powers. So we're going to handle legally first. So legally, this is where we get the the common nomenclature of churches where I say, you have sinned, there's a payment owed, therefore Jesus, you must believe in him, and he pays that for you, and you are united legally to him. You, You have died with Christ, and you'll be raised again with him. And the the best illustration I really have for this in our culture is marriage, right? So let's say you have person A, and I'm not gonna say which one's male or female. You can do that in your own brains of of brokenness. Let's say person A, hyper-successful, made tons of money. They worked hard. They took a day off every week. They loved their kids. They had a sweet car. They had all the goods. That's person A, Let's say person B is a couch potato, Netflix binge-watching, lazy person who's never worked a day in their life. Let's say person A marries person B, and just for the sake of this metaphor, this is without a prenuptial agreement. When they get married, they are united legally. All of the stuff, all of the, the success of person A instantly is shared with person B their assets merge in. It doesn't matter if person B did nothing right, failed miserably. It doesn't matter what they have done. Now that they're legally united, they get half of whatever the other person has should things go south. And in the marriage, they can access the bank accounts. I mean, that's how it should be done. Like if you, if you don't give a credit card to your significant other or a debit card, you should probably do that. If you haven't, and I'm getting you in trouble right now, I don't apologize too much. Just share. Because this is a picture of Jesus' love for the church. This is what it means to be united legally. And I know in in our culture, we say that's a gold digger. But my commendation to you today is that we should all be spiritual gold diggers. If you're going to listen to the Kanye West song, turn it into a worship song. Because God provides everything, we should bring nothing and say, God, I need you. I need more of you in me. We are the party that brings nothing. And Jesus is the party who says, you unite to me legally. You die with me, but you have life with me. You have every spiritual blessing. Everything that I am, everything that I represent, everything that I have, I have now united to you. This is what it means to be united to God legally. For we have all been united to him in death and likewise his resurrection. There's uh, there's another way we get united, to his life power, his vitality. 2 Peter 1 says, his divine power granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if we are connected to Jesus, we have granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. When we are in christ this incredible thing happens see the god of the universe is this three in one it's the father and the son and the holy spirit and the spirit's just always moving and it is a total being of perfect love and when we come into jesus jesus says now that you're in me this holy spirit i'm going to put within you i I recently posted a picture that was taken of my wife and i at at a wedding that i did and i love this picture because mostly because I, i look at it and i think geez i'm super lucky but i was kissing her on the cheek and then one of my friends from California said, and I, I was holding her, I was holding her like a husband should, like hand at the swell of the back, pulling her in, because um, I, I like her still, and I love her too, both separate things. But one of my friends said, hey, leave room for the Holy Spirit. And because I'm a sarcastic person, and sarcasm is my second language, I write back quickly, the Holy Spirit is in my heart. So do you know how close that means? Because I remember when I was a youth pastor, you know, I'd. I'd go up, I'd, I'd see people hugging, and I would, I always have these, I like big Bibles, you know, because uh, big Bibles are good, they're, they're sexy. If you ever want to find someone to marry, look for the person of the opposite gender with a big old Bible that's all torn up, and say, I want to marry you, put a ring on it, okay? That's the Beyonce song, song should be, if they got a Bible, put a ring on it. But, but people used to get close to each other, and, and I would say, keep room for a study Bible, and, and when, now that I have a daughter, I've realized that I used to like, put the study Bible in this way. But now with my daughter, I'm turning the Bible this way. So I want that much room. And, um, and I'm just going to say publicly right now, wherever the Woods family is in here, yeah, yeah, I got my eyes on your grandson hugging up on my girl yesterday. <laughs> I told my boys, hey, we're going to this party. There's a little boy here. You could play with him. His name is Carter. He's cool. Carter's four, Savannah's three, but Savannah's like an Amazon giant, and, and Carter's just uh, normal height. So the o- Carter opens the door, and Carter looks at the two boys, and I thought, yeah, brothers, they're going to play like, like boys. He walks right past the boys, grabs Savannah, puts his arm around her, just meets her. He's like, the nerve <laughs> of this in front of me. My daughter, for the rest of the night, I mean, she always is bad with names, so she kept calling him Parker, not Parker Carter. Okay, okay, at nighttime last night, let's pray. Let's pray for Parker, not Parker Carter. Actually, no, let's pray for Parker. I don't know who that (laughs) fool is. But, But just their friendship already changed her demeanor. Just one day of playing in a bouncy house, drinking Hawaiian Punch, and playing in the grass lawn, all of a sudden, like, my daughter's all happy about that. And I should be happy for them, you guys. I'm just not. This is my own sin. I'm working out with you publicly. But there's this, there's this sense that when you've brought your life in with someone else's, it brings you this massive indwelling, welling up within you joy Now, God himself, the Holy Spirit, is in those who place their trust and faith in Jesus. If you are in Jesus, you get the Spirit, and that unites us to who God is. That's what this passage is talking about when it uses words like adoption. We have been adopted in. We have been chosen to be brought in to God's family, to God's covenant, to God's promises. And when he does that, he puts his Spirit in you. And when you have that Spirit, in the spiritual sense, you have God's DNA within you. You have everything you need, everything you need to live a life that pleases God. Now, now, there's a twofold sensation you might be having. If you have everything you need, you might be saying, uh oh, why am I not doing it? So, in that sense, it's convicting. But it, it can also be and should be comforting. It should be convicting because now, with God's very presence within us, we have the tools, we've got the total utility belt. To tackle life with faith and love and charity. With selflessness and sacrificial giving. Loving those who are not even loving us in return. Giving to those who are taking from us and wanting more. This is the spirit of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. And now his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit is in you. So you want to know like what should life look like? What do I live like? You, you really, it's, it's a simple view. You say what did Jesus do when he was in his body? Because now we are called the body of Christ so what he did the way he loved the way he sacrificed the way he gave that is what we are called to do and be now and we have all the tools to do it but you're thinking wait a second I I don't I mess up all the time well this is where we need to take the comforting aspect of this because you have God's spirit in you and I need you to hear me if you're in a place of brokenness and hurt and pain right now I need you to to listen closely There is no wound. If you have the Spirit of God in you, there is no wound from which you cannot be healed. There is no brokenness that cannot be repaired. There is not a single bad habit or sinful attitude that God cannot liberate you and free you from. He has given you the Spirit, the presence, and the tools. You have been adopted and chosen and filled and sealed so that now... You have this ability, this ability to walk in a freedom that that you may have never thought before. Now, you might be thinking, wait, but wait, I still struggle all the time. And and I I explain it like this. So in Florida, we have oak trees. We've got giant oak trees. They're like 100 feet tall, 7,000 years old, it looks like. You've got the middle-aged oak trees, 25-footers, and you've got the sapling oak trees. They're in all the new home developments going up. They're all oak trees, right? nobody's going around saying, well, this is not really an oak tree. It's a baby oak tree. No, it's still an oak tree. We have all of the spiritual blessings, but some of them are in fully grown form. Some are in sapling form. Some are in middle-aged form. And our job, our goal, our desire should be to water our life with God's word and prayer and service and loving others in such a way that we learn to use these Things that God gives us, every spiritual blessing, that we learn to embrace what it means to be chosen. Isn't that a weird term? Chosen or predestined? If you grew up in a church that's there's two big camps in Christianity. You've got this camp called the Calvinists, they like pointy beards, dark beer, and old dead guys. And then you've got the Arminians, they have more rounded beards, funky hats, and a lot of discipline. Okay, these are two church camps, and they've argued for centuries and centuries on predestination, free will, predestination, free will. God predestines us. This passage just says it. This is God's word. It says that God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. He predestined. We have a destination where we're going. He predid that for us. But then we read other passages. We read passages about those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Now here's the problem with, with the camps lobbing these doctrine theology grenades. We have to look at the Bible and take the Bible for what it is and what it says. The Bible says that we are chosen before the foundation. The Bible says that we are predestined. The Bible says that we must confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God rose from the dead. So instead of engaging in the arguments between different church camps, we need to say, okay, no more arguing. There's people who don't know the love of God yet. So let's just say, are we predestined and chosen before the foundation of the world? Yes. Do we have to put our faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my Lord? And do we have to believe? Yes. Do we have to put those two things together perfectly? And here's what I'm going to say, you probably will not be able to if centuries and centuries of church history have been fighting about this. My, one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, said, but with, as it concerns predestination and the, the human decision, those two concepts will be merged together on the anvil of eternity. I like that. I like that, that our God is so big that we can't understand everything about him. Because if he were fully understandable by us, that would be really, really bad because as we celebrate all the graduates that just finished school this year, my mom and I were sweating bullets that I would get a D-minus in government my senior year. Sweating bullets. And if I can figure out God and I can't even figure out how to run American politics, I mean, not that anyone else can right now either, but if I could figure out God with that D-minus in government, that's a little tiny God. I mean, it's... That's a puny God. You don't want me to try to figure out and be able to know everything about God because he is massive and expansive. He is omnipresent, omniscient. He can have concepts that to our minds seem paradoxical. It's why we can't talk to animals because they wouldn't understand us. To talk with an ant, you'd have to go down in the anthill, speak ease, and tell it, hey, don't get that. That's the poison that the homeowner just put out but they don't do that. They just eat the poison and die, thankfully. Goodbye, fire ants. Go back to hell where you came from, fire ants. I'm not bitter about that either. But, but what are we doing when we take these big concepts? We should trust that we are chosen, that it is through Jesus, and it's, it's primarily about Jesus. Before getting hung up on these words, we should study them, love them, cherish them, read books about them, but we shouldn't begin fighting each other and here's my philosophy. This is what I take into account every time I share the good news of Jesus. I don't go out trying to be the, the most winsome, creative argumentor for God's faith. I go out and I say, this is the good news of what Jesus has done. And I'm not trying to, to draw someone in just with my words. I'm praying that God will be drawing them in because it says he chose them. So every time you share the good news with somebody, it's not you trying to convince somebody that this thing, this learning, this faith is right. It's you going out and hunting for those that God is already calling. It's you going out and say, hey, as far as I know, everyone here is chosen. And that's my approach. Every time I sit down at a coffee shop, every time a stranger comes up, I think, ding, 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 God has sent them here because he is calling them to himself. How glorious. And I'll try to sneak in the conversation. Hey, how's it going? Ah, the weather. Yeah, it's hot. Hell's hot. Don't go there. Believe in Jesus. No, I don't do that. That's really bad that's really bad but you almost could last week was, never mind, okay rain it in Whew. okay but but do we do we have that perception where where everyone is potentially being called by god and it's up to god not us we confuse our job description with god's job description all the time as followers of jesus this is why this is why we are known as judgmental people because every once in a while, we take our job description off that says, love people, love God, love others, give to others, be filled with joy, peace, patience, kindness. We take off that job description, and we say, hey, God, can I borrow your job description? Judge of the universe, all-knowing being, intelligentsia, personified. And then we walk around, taking our Bibles, just beating strangers up. No, that's job. God. God gets to be the judge. We don't want to be the judge. He's the loving judge, the good judge, the just judge. We need to remember our job description. Love God. Love others. Seek after him. Because it said that he has chosen us to be holy and blameless. He has chosen us to wash us clean. This is how he has done it. I always wonder, because I do this sort of thing, you know, Paul was so confident in this. He knew the spiritual blessings. He was like, okay, I've got, I'm adopted. I am loved. I always wonder what it was like for Paul Because he was a prosecutor, persecutor, murderer of Christians. Think about after he becomes this church leader and he's in some Bible study, but he killed like your second cousin, your uncle, your dad, your brother. Yet Paul, with all of his past, walked with such strength that he was forgiven, not because of what he had accomplished, but because he knew what Jesus had accomplished for him. He understood the sacrifice. He understood that adoption, in the Greek culture sense, they weren't looking for kids often, as we perceive adoption, but in the Greek culture, oftentimes they would adopt even adults because they needed someone to be an heir. So when the Bible says we are adopted, it means you are an heir. An heir. Like you get God's stuff. You get god's discover card that verse that you know god owns the cattle on a thousand hills that this concept that floats around this is why it's so easy for me at times not to covet i used to struggle with coveting if you drove by me in a nissan gtr or a 1994 toyota super twin turbo painted purple i was all about the covet but but now i'm like that's a piece of junk That's a $160,000 chunk of fiberglass. My God owns the world, and I'm his kid. He loves me. This is what adoption means. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to bring us into the family, to redeem us. Now, redemption isn't something we we use very often in our culture. When I worked, uh, I did a bunch of odd jobs in Hawaii. One of them, I worked at an uh, auto shop company when I was trying to find a more stable job, and I was attached to a tow yard. Now, has anyone here had their car towed? It's the most demoralizing thing you've ever experienced because you walk out to your car and you think, uh-oh, I knew I shouldn't have parked in that. I knew the painted curb meant something. And in this tow yard, I would watch people come in just the walk of utter dejection and shame because they know that like 300 $400 is going to be fluttering out of their wallet like a free butterfly any minute. In this tow yard, they would come in, they would say, is my car here? Yes, your car is here. And I think the people that work in tow yards at the front desks, I think they're vindictive and in need of therapy, okay? That's what I think is going on, because they're happy about it. We got your car. You're going to pay $400. And they take out the card, they swipe it, they write their signature with tears of blood. And then at this particular tow yard in Hawaii, and this is why I thought it was so fascinating, I can't un- remember this now, they had a stamp that they would stamp the paperwork with. Boom, redeemed. And as a nerdy Christian, every time I'm like, <laughs> redeemed. Because it's, it's a Jesus word. It's a Jesus word that means the car was trapped, enslaved, in a cage, and once the price is paid, boom, Redeemed. And then they would go, and they would show their paper, and they'd go back to the car yard and get it out half the time. Your CDs are gone because it's Hawaii, and who knows. But, but the car was set free. This is, this is redemption for you and I. We have to come to God knowing, knowing that we need a redeemer because we are in a tow yard. Your soul, your spirit is in a tow yard. And and I need you to understand this. When we talk about sin here at the chapel, I don't just mean there's a list of do's and a list of don'ts. And if you mess that all up, then that's sin. What I'm referring to at the core of what sin is, is putting something else in the place of God. And it can be anything, and it's usually a good thing. Because some of you are thinking, wait, wait, I was never in a tow yard. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you were in a tow yard Part of your life is probably still lingering in a tow yard. And today I want you to receive the blessings of being freed from this tow yard because we all live for something. Every one of us. We live for kids. We live for career. We've talked, we've talked about this, right, fam? We live for power, wealth. And whatever you live for, that's your master. Whatever you wake up thinking about, whatever drives you, that is your God. That is your tow yard enslavement. That is what is drawing your life deeper and deeper into this place of slavery and imprisonment. Which, whatever motivates you, or whatever, if you take that in the inverse, whatever, whatever converse, whatever you think of that if you lost it, your life would lose meaning. This is why when stock markets crash, people take their lives. This is why sometimes when, when kids go wayward, when, when kids struggle or something happens, it's tra- traumatic and tragic in a family. This is why you see uh, marriages break apart. This is why you see parents that can shut down. This is why sometimes when kids are doing poorly in school, you just see the pressure begin to crush them and crumple them, because all of these things are cruel, cruel masters. And we need a master, not that will crush us and kill us, we need a master who would die for us. And as far as I can tell in all of my studies of religion and worldviews, Christianity is the only worldview, the only way of thinking, the only religion that I've seen. If you've got another one, please tell me. But Christianity is the only one where the God says, where the deity says, where the master says, I will die for you so you don't have to die. Every other thing you live for will kill you eventually. Eventually. Every worldview, if it's centered in yourself, if it's centered in something temporary, eventually it will kill you. Your career will eventually kill you. Your kids... I'm going to move right along. <laughs> you put your trust in your wealth for your security, it will let you down. If, if you don't know the cycle, it's average 7 to 10 years for an, an a recession in our country. The last one was in 2006, 2007. Okay? So for those of you who can't add... Buckle up, just in case. It's average, it's a rhythm. If you put your significance in what you have, that will eventually begin to eat you up because you can't keep up with the demands of these hungry, fake gods. And it's almost always, especially for for church folk, it's almost always not a bad thing that you've made an ultimate thing. 95% of the time, for those of us who attend church gatherings regularly, it's usually something that's good that you've just taken from the place of good and you've made it ultimate. And you've put your whole identity and you've staked it on this thing. The, like I said, the performance of your kids, your appearance before others, and eventually those, the crushing weight of those fake gods will bring you down. Anything can become your master. I even think about my job. I can preach to serve God and serve you and help people and proclaim the good news of Jesus or I can preach to feel worthwhile, like I'm doing something for God. Now, it's the same external action, but internally, one is, is for God and one is for me. One, God is my master and I'm wanting to serve him and love him in response to what he's done for me. The other one is me serving preaching, and that's a bad master. And if my job can be bad, I promise you, any of your jobs can be just as broken, and it's sly, when a new master steps in they don't come in with trumpets it creeps in that just says just a few more hours just a few more times yelling at them just a few more dollars just a few more badges of success and it creeps in especially in our culture so the blessings we have adoption we have redemption and we have resurrection God's plan is to unite all things to himself Death, of course, is the ultimate breaking down, the law of thermodynamics. Everything is uh, breaking apart. Jesus is going to bring all things together That's what that means by it. God is going to unite all things to him, yet the effects of sin still linger. And we don't have a, a ton of time to get into this aspect, but I need you to know that as life breaks down, let those be moments where you come back to this table and say, I need to remember that Jesus will ultimately put all things back together the way they are supposed to be in him, through him, about him, for him. Now, how did this all happen for us? How did Jesus actually do it? And here, here's what I, I love. Because this this passage in Ephesians, it talks about the redemption, the adoption, the predestination, these big words, big sight, panoramic view. But I want to bring it all the way down to this. And here's how you get it. And I get it. If you read the New Testament, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to God as my Father. My Father did this. My Father did that. My Father in heaven. My Father, my Father, my Father. Every time. He's, he's just obsessed with calling God his dad, which is, it made the Pharisees really annoyed because they were like, yeah, hey, it's not your dad, it's God. But there was one time Jesus didn't say my Father. It was on the cross. Do you remember what he said, Christian people? My God, my God. Not my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went to the cross, and for that moment, he became sin. That's what the Bible says. He became sin so that we could be set free. For one moment, he traded, calling God his Father, and called him God. For one moment, he said, my God, my God, so that for all of eternity, you could say to him, my Father, my Father. He had to become like us so that we could become like him he had to become far off from god so that we could be brought in to god this was the ultimate form of love this is why we celebrate communion that jesus would die for us while we were yet sinners that he would give us every spiritual blessing and spiritual blessings are not the things these clowns are talking about on tv it's not the health and the wealth it's not the big houses and the cars it's the fact that you are more loved than you could possibly know right now That you are adopted, redeemed, predestined, and chosen in love because of God's radical one-way love for you that has nothing to do with you. And now he's calling you to be holy and blameless, to grow in him. So how do you know you have these blessings? Verse 6. There's this line. It's a cool line. To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. All of these things are to the praise of his glorious grace. What does this mean? So for this morning, we can think of glorious as beautiful, magnificent, wonderful. My question for you is, do you find his grace, the good news that he died for you, do you find it beautiful? Does it capture your heart? Be honest. Don't lie to yourself. It doesn't do you any good. Is his amazing grace the theme of your life, or is it just a playlist on Sunday? Is his grace, his beautiful grace, the foundation? Be honest with yourself. I I can remember, I mean, I remember so many days, but I I love weddings because of that moment the bride walks down when everyone does the whiplash. Look at the bride, look at the groom cry. I I remember seeing Amy come around the corner down the little garden area, the, the lawn. Man, she was so hot. I was just like head over heels, And now every morning, I get to wake up, and I tell her that every morning. I say things to her that I can't even say to you because I'm behind a pulpit. And it's not appropriate because we are not married. I tell her all the time, oh, you're so beautiful. And and it's, if your response to God's grace is not that way, amazed, then you may not have received the blessings yet. If you've never sung Amazing Grace and had your eyes get all sweaty, you may not. I mean, we're not all criers. I'll say for me, I would not. I I cried during the Lion King when Mufasa died. I I better be broken up when I start thinking about how radical this panorama is for me. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my dead heroes, English physician who became a pastor, used to ask people all the time and i ask people this a lot it's an easy question to tell where someone's at are you a christian and if you say something like i'm trying then i automatically know they don't get it yet because it's not an i'm trying this passage says in christ we have past tense every spiritual blessing in christ we have been past tense adopted in christ we were chosen before past tense the foundation of the world Placing your faith and trust in Christ means that you have been secured, that you are being held, that when Jesus said, no one can snatch you from my hands, he means it. That when Romans says, for I am convinced, and I can't do this without singing, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor dangers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Do you, draw yourself to see that beauty to see his glorious grace it's probably best illustrated outside of the Bible by one of my other favorite books Harry Potter in the first book Voldemort the villain takes over a professor and touches Harry at one point and gets hurt and later Harry asks his mentor "says why couldn't he touch me and the sage says because your mother gave her life to protect you and that put a covering on you today if you don't get that if you don't understand the love that jesus has for you because when someone experiences love like this evil cannot overcome it this is the beginning and the end and the totality of receiving every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You call us in to adopt us. You unite us to you. You make us heirs of your throne. You give us hope. You give us security. You give us identity. God, let us live. In light of those things. Let us not be tossed about. By waves of insecurities. Let us not be tossed about. By waves and winds of identities. That don't last. Help us to put our life. In Jesus. On Jesus And live it for Jesus in all that we are and do and say. God, I pray that people here who have not yet found grace amazing would do so today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.